Hello, my name is Anoa Changa. The Way with Anoa. Good evening and welcome to the way with Vanilla. Um, hope you're doing well. Hey, Baba Akingale, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Do I need to have on headsets? Um, it might make it a little easier for you, but I can hear you just fine, so you're good for now. Okay. All right. I'm just starting and getting started up right now and introduce you. You're ready to just do my introduction and then I'm going to introduce you. Um, okay. Awesome. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of The Way with Anoa. It's, uh, it's October 25th, 2016. Another lovely Tuesday. We are two weeks from the end of the craziest election cycle, probably in recent memory. Okay, you guys, are you feeling me tonight? Um, tonight, I'm really, really excited because I am joined by um, Baba AK, Dr. Akinyele Umoja, uh, Chair of um, the Department of African-American Studies at Georgia State University, uh, scholar, scholar, activist, teacher, educator, mentor, Baba, all the above. Um, one of my mom's mentors when she went back to school. So it's a friend of my dad's. It's, me, it's like old home week right now. So I'm really excited <laughs> and honored to have you joining me this evening. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing. It's been a day, but you know, I'm, I'm ready for some good conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> so I um I've been I've been I think I've mentioned briefly like I've been having conversations with people just like I said you know with this election cycle and just even the past year past few years of just increased activism happening you know political engagement you know civic awareness happening um, in different movements and stuff all across the country just really starting to start having conversations to help people get a better sense of not just, you know, the cur same current events that we always see going on in the, in the news, but also like kind of maybe some historical context, but also just tips, strategies, thoughts, ideas. I love lifting up the work of other people because, you know, sometimes you can, you can, I mean, you learn a lot. You talk to other people or hear, you know, how other people think or do things or whatever. So, you were definitely someone that I, I wanted to talk to because one, you just have such an awesome body of work. But but I think that just from looking at what you what you along with your wife, I mean, I have done here in the, the Atlanta community, you know, your work through Malcolm X grassroots movement, and 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 we'll get into some of the stuff about Jackson as well, um, Jackson, Mississippi. I just think that those are potential models, you know, for people to look at when we're talking about how to build out you know, political and social economic agency and movement building. Um, so again, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for inviting me and to uh, be able to engage with this platform. Um, so so one of the things that, that has been like kind of, I know a lot of people have made this comparison and one of my girlfriends and I from law school, we, we keep talking about this and we speculate a lot. We don't really actually know, but we look at like this, this, what we see as an increase in activism. 
I mean, and when we talk about increases in activism, it's not that, you know, we've had the rise of Black Lives Matter and other related, the movement for Black Lives, other related groups and stuff have become very, very vocal and prominent in recent years. But this stuff, this type of work, like whether we're talking about addressing, you know, um, mass incarceration, the prison industrial complex, we're talking about police violence, we're talking about, you know, um, whether we're talking about building our own institutions, like starting our own schools and having our own businesses, this type Mm -hmm. of activism has been going on since we've been on this soil you know yeah. for the most part and a lot of people don't seem to think about it they treat like these new waves of action as if it's something brand new and one mm-hmm. thing we were we were just feeling especially with this being the 50th you know anniversary month of um the founding of the black panther party but as well as um even the coinage of that term the real prominence of the term black power you know, we've been feeling like it feels reminiscent of what we've learned about that time. Mm-hmm. And I know you've done some, well, you know that time, but I know you've also done some research. And right, and I'm just wondering, you know, what were your thoughts about, you know, I don't necessarily want to compare the two, but it just feels like we're in a similar moment of, mm-hmm. of movement, a movement moment, so to speak. Well, I think it's a both end. Uh-huh. I think I, I agree with you that our history of resistance goes back to the first of our people who were brought here as captives. It goes beyond, you know, the uh, 1619 date they used to give. Because the first captives were brought here by the Spanish in 1526. And then it was a whole movement, excuse me, not a whole movement. It was a effort by the part of the Africans who brought to what we now call Georgia Mm-hmm. Uh, to run them off. They united with the indigenous people, ran that group, that colony off, and then they left, which is why the Spanish are not in Georgia today, right? <laughs> so right. Movement goes back that far, in my estimation, really goes to the continent of Africa where people right. are existing near. And so it's a long movement on one hand. It's a long, I would say, struggle, not a long movement. Because mm-hmm. I think movements are something that happens in one period and maybe declines in the next. Okay. So we've had insurgency before. It's been it's consistent that people struggle, right? But at, at certain times, I think you have something that's special where it has some momentum. Mm-hmm. It captivates people's attention. Right. Uh, and, and because uh, as I told somebody recently on, on a panel I was on. Because some people say that, that the civil rights movement goes from the 30s to the 1980s. And I said, yeah, there were people struggling, but there's different mm-hmm. times where it has momentum, right? Where you nobody can ignore it. And I think we're in one of those uh, periods right now. Uh, what I mean by that, like last year, this time, mm-hmm. we had the situation that happened in Missouri where yes. the students... Uh, 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 began a movement that you have 42 scholarship athletes who decide they're not going to play football unless the president resigns and the president resigns. Stuff like that don't happen all the time. Right, right. We have that many players willing to commit themselves. Like this whole thing that's happening now with Colin Kaepernick. That's Mm -hmm. rare. We have NFL athletes and it's more than Kaepernick now, right? Right. who are willing to take some sort of stand um, to draw that type of attention. 
because you know during your lifetime we had Michael Jordan uh, you know for the most mm -hmm. part refusing to take any type of political stand at most right. of the, uh, athletic piece was apolitical during that period of time right mm -hmm. uh, so we got all the way from the 60s where you have people like Tommy Smith and John Carlos so we got people mm -hmm. like Muhammad Ali to now where we don't see that type of outward stance we've had some athletes do some things quietly right you know? of course you had Craig Hodges coming out of probably your your hometown of Chicago right Mm -hmm. things with the bulls but he was in isolation yeah people who picked up on what he was doing so i think we there is something new now there is something that emerged and it's something that everybody got to pay attention to it's like nobody could ignore it but we've had other periods where some of us been working but nobody really did, you know a lot of people really didn't know what we were doing right. you know, i had neighbors you know a few streets down who probably didn't know of the impact of the movement, what we were talking about, what the challenges were. So mm -hmm. yes and no, we've had people continue from the early days, but it's something different happening today, just like it was something different and happening in the 1960s and 70s. Really, we'll say from the 50s through the 70s. Right. So, yeah. Right. So this, this is a special period we're in right now. And yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. It, it, it's, I mean, I know it's a lot, it's a lot of work. I know there are times where it's very heavy on people. A lot of stuff is going on. At the same time, all these different people coming together, you know, committed to, to not just doing something, but taking very specific steps and actions. It's kind of exciting and motivating. It's, it's a real interesting bag of emotions right now. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you just want to be involved. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's something that, we've only heard about for, for, for my generation. A lot of us have only either we witnessed it as little kids, like you were saying, like, you know, um, um, I remember being a little kid going to Napo, you know, meetings or or that's for people not familiar because I'm about to start throwing out some crazy acronyms. New African People's Organization. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember <laughs> every I remember uh, all of us for a weekend at Ahmed's house and down in Alabama, mm -hmm. like, you know, stuff like that. So we mm -hmm. we knew that stuff. But it's different as an adult now to right. actually really begin to see, see the work, not just unfold, but be able to start taking part um, in some ways and right. some of the things that we watched our parents um, work towards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's exciting for some of us old folk too. <laughs> and, I, but, and I think in my generation, we got two different perspectives, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I'm talking about other people who were activists. Right. On one hand, I even saw it this weekend. I saw two articles by two former Panthers. Yes. One from Elaine Brown who was saying, well, this Black Lives Matter, it ain't serious like we were. And mm -hmm. on the other hand, you had Erica Huggins who was like happy about it. She's mm -hmm. happy to see this emergence. And she uh so I think and some one of my friends sent me uh Elaine's article and I sent her back, uh she wanted to know what I thought, and I said it was disturbing. And what, mm -hmm. what I meant by that was for me, you know, I've been waiting for something like this to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing my work ever since I was 18. I'm 62 now. Right. And so when I see it pick up, so, you know, I've always had, we've always had, cause we've always attempted to be intergenerational. So I've always right. people like you who were a part of us and doing your thing. Right. I've seen my daughter, 
mm-hmm. her thing, right? But it's something when I see, when I could go to a classroom and I have young activists in my classroom and young people stop me and say, look, we got this project going. And there are people I don't know I've not connected with. Mm-hmm. So that means that something's growing, something's emerging. I'm happy with that. And even though uh, there are some things maybe that, you know, I might see contradictions. I saw contradictions in the stuff we're doing. So I'm, I just want to <laughs> encourage it. I don't want to, like, diss it, you know. And uh, if there, if I have something to offer, I want to offer it, whether it's a, uh, advice or criticism. But I don't want to, like, discourage it, and I don't want to set up a relationship where folks will be defensive because I'm just dissing them. So um, um, I think we, those in my generation, we're going to have to be careful about that. You know, we should be able to offer what we see and we should be, if we see something uh, just like anybody else, just like a young person coming up, they see something should be able to offer whatever they see, because I do think we don't want to have a situation where people can't voice uh, what they see and what they believe. Uh, at the same time, I think we got to respect that people are putting themselves out there, right? Right. Uh, right. So, uh, Black Lives Matter, um, a lot of them have put their lives, their bodies on the line. They participated mm-hmm. in civil disobedience in a way where, you know, really people could have been killed doing some of the things people are doing, right? And right. so I don't want to just dismiss that because um, it's important. It's just like, you know, my book, We Will Shoot Back, talks about armed resistance. And just because I talk about armed resistance doesn't mean I don't respect the people who are engaged in nonviolent direct action in the city. Right. Because they were putting their lives out there. And and I benefit from that today, you know, from them, them sacrificing themselves like that. One thing, one thing, like, 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 speaking of your book, right, We Will Shoot Back, which was from... Busy weekend with the kids. So I got to read a couple of different chapters just to kind of get a, get a good overview. Um, and I did get a chance to, to hear a good portion of the talk from last week. Um, Dr. Dr. Omoja did a, a, a book signing and talk here in Atlanta um, at Georgia State last week. And, and one of the things that I really like, besides my dad getting up <laughs> and added in his thoughts, Mm-hmm. But he was he was he was very he was very he was talking about the book still your 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 work after we we even left in the car. But but one of the things that I really appreciate was when you said when when asked the question about um you know armed resistance today and what would you say to young people activists today, paraphrasing loosely, you know, the response was something to the effect that you know you would give, you know, what you thought, but at the same time being open because you might be able to learn something from the younger generation coming up. And I think that's so important because we do have a lot, of course, to learn, you know, from your generation ahead of us. But at the same time, especially with some of the the, the digital stuff that's been going on, there are some things that maybe we see differently, right, from our own vantage point, because you all did pave the way a certain way for us. So we have a different viewpoint. So I just just really appreciate what you're saying about, you know, multi-generational, intergenerational activism and, and organizing because I think a lot of these issues, not not I think, I mean all this stuff, it affects all of us in different ways, but together, you know, building the where we can is it seems like that's the best way forward. No doubt. No doubt. It has to be we have to be flexible. 
Mm-hmm. We have to use all the resources that are available. And so that means like people's use of technology has to be used to the fullest to help in this liberation struggle. We have to put it to the service of, mm-hmm. of our people, right? And so I'm all for using it, you know. Right. Thing is that you have to be flexible, so we can't be dependent on it either. Right, right, we right. To, we, have to, we have to um uh utilize it and we have to but we have to maintain uh not forget that uh maybe we can communicate off of it sometime. Maybe that should be effective too. And right. But but you know, but we can uh, uh we can communicate with a whole lot of people utilizing it. Mm-hmm. And 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 across borders, right? You know, across. I mean, if we think out the box, and really, it's not out the box for for somebody my generation is thinking out the box. But you know, I've I've been to teleconferences where we've communicated with people in Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, so we've gone all the way from communicating. Uh, I went to a conference where we were communicating with people in California, in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. in Zambia, South Africa, Ghana at the same time. And so for many of us, that's like, wow. Yeah. One of the things I want to start doing, like you were at a, something we did at Auburn Avenue Research Library, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to do something where we can do a conference where we have participants in Detroit at the Charles Wright Museum. Right. In New York at the Schomburg and at the Auburn Avenue Research Library at the same time. And we could build from there to connect with people all over the United States all and all over the world. Yeah, um, yeah. That would be that technology. Yeah, and, that and it's, it's becoming right now. and it's becoming so much easier to do, like you said, right. with the technology that's available. Um and the know-how is, you know, the kids can figure it all out. Just hop on YouTube and watch a video and they they done figured it all out already. But but I just want to go back to the book for a second because there were there were two things that I, I just I thought of. One was when you were just saying, like, not that you were shunning nonviolent, the nonviolent movement, but I really did appreciate the fact that it brought that historical context. Because, you know, growing up with, with, you know, with my mom. Hey folks, this is David in the uh, production end. I think Noah's connection may have been lost, so bear with us a moment.
We're coming back now, folks. We had a slight technical difficulty with uh, with the uh, connection there. I mean, you know what day and age we live in. Then you start talking about radical black tradition, uh, uh, Black Panthers. I mean, Mississippi brothers with guns. Like, I mean, they trying they just trying to hold us back. No, seriously, I wait for Doctor Moja to come back. There he goes, come okay. back, whatever. <laughs> I think yeah. they were trying to uh, they was messing with us. <laughs> well, that's why we need to know this technology. Yes, that's why we need to know this technology. So we could block it and we could do the same thing with them sometimes. <laughs> and this is just, this is a great time to plug uh, Michael Salomon and Media Revolt. Michael Salomon is launching several alternatives to Google-based products, Facebook and Twitter, as we speak for this purpose, to make sure that activists and other independent journalists have unfettered access to technology and our um, content. So we'll definitely be shooting you more information as Michael unrolls all of that stuff. But I, what I was saying before we got cut off, I said there's a point, you know, earlier in the book when you're talking about um, the use of institutionalized fear and intimidation to control and kind of steer people a certain way. And I mean, we've seen that it has, it's not the same as it was coming out of the late 1800s and early 1900s. But at the same time, we've seen, you know, majority white controlled politicians and, and voting blocks still continue to use those, those two things, institutionalized fear and intimidation in certain ways to kind of not just dictate, but, 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 but guide or, or, or focus to kind of marginalize whatever impact we could have as a block, particularly when we're talking about state and local level um, here in the South. And when you're looking at someplace like Mississippi, which is, is I believe still predominantly still has a, a large black population. So, so those yeah. were, those were lessons. Like when we talk, we talk, you know, everyone's, you know, little kids always say, Oh, that's history. It already happened. But, but I think when you look at the way the patterns, there are patterns, right, that you can look at and see how people do things to start then to look at what strategies should we be employing, you know, now and going forward. Um, and that was just something that I really, really took from, you know, the historical analysis that you go through in the book, because, I mean, it does get really deep into step by step kind of how 
the opportunity even grew, right? And the other thing you said, like last week when you were talking about the book, was that um, we weren't just fighting for the right to vote. We were fighting for access to political power or to exercise political power, paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. And I think that distinction is so is so crucial because we have so many people, especially right now as we're in an election cycle, telling us, oh, you got to vote, you got to vote, we got to vote. But very few people are talking about how we actually mobilize and grow power and what that would look like and how do we use it and maintain it, right? And, and so that's one of the things I wanted to, wanted to kind of chat with you a little bit about was, was looking at opportunities to grow power um, versus just getting out the vote. Uh, and, and, and how do we translate that into actual community action, community, sustainable community um, development? Well, it's two things uh, we would offer at this point. When I say we, as you know, I'm a member of Malcolm X Grassroots Movement mm -hmm. and uh, also still a member of New African People's Organization. Mm -hmm. um, one of our leading members uh, some years ago wrote an article called a Jackson Cushman Land. And okay. His name is Kali Akuno. And he, uh, looking at Mississippi, particularly if you look at the western part of Mississippi, uh, and also with counties bordering in northern Louisiana, mm -hmm. really southern Louisiana, what am I talking about? Uh, and also in Tennessee and parts of Arkansas, you have this belt, which we call the Cush District, where mm -hmm. Black people, and it really comes from the Republic of New Africa projections uh, decades ago, that there, there's these counties that, that connect where Black people are clearly in the majority. And Jackson, Mississippi itself is like 80% Black. Oh, wow. So, the, so how we would grow power there, what was proposed, is number one, we need to start building uh, economic cooperatives, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where Black people are pooling their resources. Because you and I both know that there's uh, resources in our community, but oftentimes, as, as has been said, you know, the dollar comes in our community and rolls right out. Yeah. And so we need to develop projects where we're growing, growing wealth, even outside of our organizational effort. Uh, in some Black Belt counties in Mississippi, there have been Black people starting these economic cooperatives where they're pooling their wealth and they're using it to kind of grow wealth mm -hmm. in the community. So in one Black majority county, Black people were able to finance the first Black-owned gas station in that, that county. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, cooperative, putting their wealth together over years. Uh, mm -hmm. So they have, in fact, their own uh, form, own bank, really. Right. You know, uh, uh, just from pooling their wealth over years and uh, making smart investments. But again, it's cooperatively owned. It's, it's governed by certain principles. So there's mm -hmm. certain things they wouldn't fund because of right. their relationship to oppression, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's, it's a socially conscious, social justice oriented type of investments. Uh, the other piece is, um, you know, we've had, as you said, political power or somebody's had political power who looks like us mm -hmm. in these communities around the country. But oftentimes they have an agenda that really doesn't represent us. And Absolutely. So another piece of the program is to have what we call people's assemblies all throughout that area 
Mm -hmm. uh, people's assemblies would be, uh, and this is based upon what Shokwe Lumumba did when he ran for uh, first for city council in 2009 and then for um, mayor in 2013. And if, um, you know, I want your um, uh, listeners, if you don't know who Shokwe Lumumba was, um, mm -hmm. Google him. He was a longtime activist, uh, a, a radical attorney, mm -hmm. uh, freedom fighter born in Detroit who moved to Jackson, Mississippi, along with his family. And they were able to like represent and build there uh, a strong respect in the community. Mm -hmm. So he was asked really to run for mayor and rather than just like run like any other person that run for office before right. they built in his ward. First, I said mayor, but first was city council in 2009. So in his ward, they built a people's assembly where everybody in that ward, and it's just everybody who's an adult could participate and could help shape a platform. Mm -hmm. And then from that platform, uh, this is a platform he ran up, ran on. And then after he was elected, they maintained the People's Assembly, and that's where he got his direction from in terms of voting for policy. They also began to work on things themselves like educational policy, okay. educational uh, issues, or organizing the youth in the community and providing direction for the youth in the community, economic development. So uh, uh, it became another form of people making decisions. Mm -hmm. Uh, not only to give directions to the policy, politicians, but also a basis for uh, people's government, if you will. Right. Uh, so, uh, um, so rather than us electing people and having no relationship with them, whatever their term is, and them being manipulated or or selling us out to to corporate interests, it mm -hmm. became a vehicle for people to have a voice, whether it was in government or outside of government. Right. Uh, with the possibility of who knows being real people's power down the line. And so um, we see the people's assembly and we're, we're, t we're uh, for those living in Atlanta area, we're looking at building people's assemblies in, in metropolitan Atlanta. We, uh, in February, we're hosting a conference called the state of black Atlanta. Uh, already Oakland has done something similar and is moving along the same process. It might look differently here in Atlanta because, you know, our situation is different from Jackson. Right. But uh, the People's Assembly concept will be as a, as a vehicle for, again, for us to begin to make decisions as a community. In Black, we're focusing on Black majority uh, jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. We're not excluding anybody. White people could come and right. they participate because, you know, they're our neighbors mm -hmm. also. And uh, uh, hopefully, if they got the right type of mindset, they could participate uh, based upon the agenda that we would come up with in our right. community. And so, but it comes a way for us as Black people to come together and start to discuss the issues and try to move for some empowerment in our communities. Right. And right. That's our view right now <laughs> in the moment we're in, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in the moment we're in, uh, like, there was a time I thought we could just run up and take it. And we probably could have given the right type of organization. But mm -hmm. right now it's going to take us building and building unity and building some consciousness. And okay. us, other people's assembly would give us a basis to have conversations 
with each other to come on somewhat of the same page and uh, build a common agenda. One of the things with black politics is it's been too personality driven. And mm -hmm. Whereas we elect both personalities, but as I said before, the corporate interests, uh, they know what their agenda is and they're able to oftentimes uh, co-opt or overpower the people right. put in position. So right, that's the right. next, we feel is the next stage of development. I remember at one time after um, Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Touré and those in 1966, uh, they had the Lowndes County Freedom Organization in Alabama. Mm -hmm. It's the first, what you call a Black Panther Party. Okay. Uh, and so some people said after that, that the Black Panther Party was the next stage of development. But what they meant at that time wasn't necessarily what Bobby and Huey created, but it was mm -hmm. a grassroots party that all of our people participated in. We see kind of see the People's Assembly as the next stage of political development for Black people. And that's okay. our communities engaged. We're not seeking to build a vanguard group that's supposed to be the savior. Uh, right, and hip, right. Hip hop turns wouldn't be the captain save them. <laughs> that, that looking for all of us to become um, organized mm -hmm. uh, to um, create a platform and agenda that works in our people's interests. And those of us who do consider ourselves revolutionaries or conscious, we need to get in the mix with our people and try to build some unity and to uh, put some ideas out there and let people grapple with them and, and see if they can, can embrace them or not. That'd be a good test for us to see if what we're talking about is real, if if, if we can sell it to our folks mm -hmm. and embrace it, but really also to listen to our folks and to see what their ideas are. Maybe right. we can come up with something even better and stronger. Right. I, I, I love it. I love it because it definitely seems like it is a nurturing, you know, a, a space to build and also support and develop, you know, like you were saying, like we, we don't need a bunch of captain savings, but we but but leadership, you know, when we're talking about these different roles, it helps people can be leaders. We don't need just that one person like everyone can be a contributing member in their own way. We all have our different strengths in that. And, and I do think that because of the way development has happened with different movements. And I mean, we, we, we had such a void for such a long time. We lost so many people, not we lost. Some people were taken from us, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we had a leadership vacuum to some extent in some ways where we just had, you know, one after the other just taken away. So there, there, there is this, this hope put upon that one chosen person um, to come and, and, and uplift us and save us all. I mean, we've seen it in the last eight years to a little extent with, with President Obama even, um, but but that's, yeah. some, that's someone else with corporate interests to some extent that, you know, especially when you talk about education, but that's a whole nother conversation. But but I, I like this model in terms of like, like, like I talk to people all the time about, because it's, again, it's so polarizing with this election, but really when we talk about not just state and local elections, but even looking at what's going on you know, in our individual communities, how those decisions are being made and how we can be involved in that process. Because so many of us feel like, you know, the process don't, it don't, it, it's not for us, you know, nobody's going to listen anyway, but if you're organized and together, like I think about the Hasidim community in New York, in Brooklyn in particular, I mean, they are not a huge majority in Brooklyn at all, but they are tight, they are organized, and they, they have their systems in place. So whatever that community needs, they make sure it happens. 
Right. And there are other communities like that. You know, that's just what that's just a, that's just the first um, you know example I could think of off the top of my head. But like, but there are so many examples where people are able to organize, even if they're not a super majority, even if they don't have super access to wealth. But like you were saying earlier, that's why people build an economic base and you pull your resources together. Right. Not this nonsense they tell us about the American dream and pulling yourself up by yourself on your bootstraps. No. <laughs> Like, it's just not, the system's not set up, designed for that to, to, to work for people. And so I like, I like what you're talking about in terms of growing political and social economic power in its fashion. But also, it seems like we're developing, uh, we're developing people, right? We're developing that human capital that has been, I mean, we've been starved of for so long in some cases as well. And economic power. It's not just the wealth side of it, mm-hmm. but it's the, the side of it too to say, okay, we're going to collectively buy this or we're not going to buy this. You know, right. that, that gives us a certain amount of leverage uh, to, to get certain interests met. And mm-hmm. you are consumer power as that's power right now is diffused and people are pimping us. Yes. That's the, that's the if people pimping us, you know that makes us right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> more in a, a collective fashion, cooperative fashion, we can uh, again exercise some leverage as consumers and as people who collectively or cooperatively own enterprises. Mm-hmm. I know another conversation, and this this kind of gets into the same thing is about building our own institutions, right? Building our own schools, building our own. When we're talking about economic bases, I mean, people pulling together and getting their own gas station. That's that that's mm-hmm. crucial. But like, and just thinking about education, because education, you know, both formal and informal that we get from our our community groups, our families, et cetera, is so important. Um, you know, and 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 this is a conversation that I would love to have more in depth with with Mama Aminata at another point in time. But just thinking about, you know, institutions like a Quilombo, for those who aren't aware, Quilombo is an African-centered um, independent school here in Atlanta, well, not here, not in Atlanta, but it's in Decatur, Atlanta metro area. Yeah. Um, and, uh, 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 my, my mom is one of the teachers there, and, but, 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 but a place like Quilombo, and I, the kids have made me, made my day a couple of times, <laughs> just, just hearing them in the, in the morning with their morning you know, that whole morning, the whole morning ritual there is just awesome. You know, the kids mm-hmm. come together, the chants, the, the, the singing, like everything's great. But but places like that, building institutions that that not only help us come together to make decisions and create power, but like nurture and develop that next generation, next level. And I just wonder if you could just give us a few minutes um, about the importance of, of building institutions like a Quilombo, but also, you know, having culturally relevant curriculum in schools, like like for people being able to see themselves and what they're learning. Well, uh, number one, I'll do a shameless plug. Is <laughs> <laughs> this week, actually, uh, Quilombo has developed a product called the Culturally Relevant Classroom. And so this uh, Saturday at the Interdenominational Theological Center, ITC, in Atlanta mm-hmm. University Center, there'll be a workshop for teachers and parents and people interested okay. in that. Call the culturally relevant classroom. If they're interested, uh, they can go to Quilombo, which is K-I-L-O-M as in Mary, B-O, school.com. 
uh, columboschool.com and find out information on the, uh, this workshop for the culturally relevant classroom. Or they could call Aminato Moja at 404 992 8021. And, um, but Kilombo was a school that was established 11 years ago uh, mm -hmm. by, uh, with my wife, Aminato Moja, being the founder. And it was the crowd at Kilombo, it, the term itself means like a warrior camp, a warrior society. Mm -hmm. you know, Actually, some people think it originates from Brazil, but it actually originates in West Central Africa. Mm -hmm. You know, when communities were dispersed during uh, uh, the great disaster, what we call a Maafa, Black people came together, Africans came together and formed their own communities. I think somebody is coming in my house now, so I'm going to have to change my space. So, uh, <laughs> I'm not coming in the house right now. But, uh, um, when they did uh, so on based upon that model, since we've been dispersed as a people, uh, Quilombo was a, a way to create a safe space for our children to be educated mm -hmm. and to give uh, some sense of self and a uh, 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 sense of self, but also um, not only are black people not um, in terms of our culture and history, but a lot of times our is the quote uh, my wife Aminata? A lot of times, the, the schools are not safe environments for our children, right. and they're not uh, places where uh, they're given all the opportunity to learn by people who believe they can learn. Mm -hmm. And so, um, uh, so Quilombo becomes that. And but I think to answer your question, we need to have the ability to envision institutions that are nurturing for our people that are safe for our people and we need mm -hmm. to have uh people uh from all walks of life in our community support those institutions right so uh we can have more possibility for our children um that's her coming in now again. oh hi <laughs> hi mama Aminata. i didn't know he was skyping <laughs> Get you on next. <laughs> so she just asked me about Key Lombo oh, and really about the importance of building institutions. We need all types of institutions. Mm -hmm. Like at one time, we had a Malcolm X Center for Self -de uh, Determination. I'm about to say yes. self defense yes. here in Atlanta. And we need a center again, you know. So we have like right now, the, our New African Scout program meets at Key Lombo. But, okay. you know, but it would it could have like rites of passage programs. Right. We had a 12 step program recognizing that there are people in our community who are dealing with uh, substance abuse. Right. Uh, we right. had martial arts classes. We had like a bookstore, but these type of places that our people and our youth can go to, to get some um, sense of, direction identity mm -hmm. the other communities have these type of places right uh, and so one of one of the things i think our people lack is just a sense of identity i mean we have our communities but you know um and unfortunately uh, a lot of our it would be great if some of our spiritual or religious institutions uh provided this direction but a lot of our institutions don't really, really reinforce who we are as a people. Yeah. And that's a sense of empowerment. Some do. 
And there, mm-hmm. are, some, there are some religious institutions that do emphasize our culture, our people, and the necessity of us to have a common agenda that uh, supports our development uh, and defending our interests as a people. But unfortunately, there are too many institutions and too many people in our community who say that's something you need to stay away from. Yeah. (laughs) You don't need to talk that black stuff, right? Yeah. Where, uh, you know, and so that, what does that mean for our survival as a people? What does that mean for us to have somebody who forwards our agenda? Uh, You know, and like you talked about this particular election, and we know that, you know, there are some, uh, when we talk, think about somebody like Donald Trump, who actually have people who call themselves white nationalists who are associated yeah. with his campaign on one level. And then you got mm-hmm. somebody else who might placate us, mm-hmm. you know, like a Hillary Clinton and yeah. talk about it, uh, talk about trying to get our vote and our attention. But when it comes down to us, we'll have policies that don't really advance what we're talking about right don't advance um the things that's in the best interest of our people and then we as a people oftentimes there are things that could be in our interest that if we were part of other communities we would have asked them like reparations there are other communities that have gotten reparations right we just think it's an impossibility because we don't think from a sense of power and we don't think in terms of what we're really old. It's not a question of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we think it's begging, but I just talked to a sister yesterday who was the Dean of Education at Howard University. Mm-hmm. And she told me that during segregation, uh, excuse me, desegregation, when schools were desegregated, you had less qualified white people taking the positions of more qualified black people when they consolidated the school system. So mm-hmm. we think about that from that vantage point, what loss of income came to black uh, professionals yeah. and how did that impact our community? That trickles yeah. down to other dollars mm-hmm. that could be spent as not to mention the fact of what that does to uh, what did that mean for the education of our children, right? That's right. a, to me, that's a reparations issue. It's not just about slavery. Uh, there, are, there were a lot of injustices that have happened to our people that, again, if we were another people, we were another issue, I mean, another community, we would think enough about our ancestors, we would think enough about our struggle, we would demand some compensation for mm-hmm. the injustices that happened to our people. So if, if we have leadership who d- thinks we shouldn't talk that Black stuff, then we're always going to be in a position where we're mm-hmm. compromised when we don't really get what we deserve, uh, given what's happened to us as a people. That is, I love it. I'm going to have to bug you another time <laughs> so we can chop it up okay. some more. And I'm pleased to tell my mom and I that I'm going to have to hit her up too to talk more about education, culturally relevant classrooms, and specifically Colombo. I appreciate you so much for taking some time this evening. Uh, to chat with me and, and, and to drop some knowledge, drop some science with us. Well, I enjoyed this conversation. This is great. Thank you so much. And I'll definitely be in touch about follow-up. And I'll send you the links um, once 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 it's up and ready. So thank you. I appreciate it. Well, we, I'll, All right. I'll post it once I get it. All right. Take thank care. you. Good night. I will. Good night. Good night. Good night. 
So we had technical difficulties and I didn't get to any of the ridiculous news and other stuff going on today, but that's all right. Cause I think conversations like this, being able to sit down and chat um, with, 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 like I said, dropping knowledge, dropping science is so crucial. So one quote from, again, this is the book, We Shoot Back, uh, We Will Shoot Back. Great book, Dr. Akinyele Moja. Check it out. But one of the quotes that I really, really like that grabbed me, and this is how I'm closing out tonight, um, was Carolyn Williams. Um, she's with the, the, the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Um, and, and, and she was also an early member of the provisional government with the Republic of New Africa. Um, and that's something that we could talk a little bit more about. And I'll help provide y'all a little education about that some other time. But one of the things I thought was so great was, it, this was in an editorial, she stated, I believe in Black dignity, Black pride, Black knowledge, and a great human campaign to restore to ourselves the image of our own strength. I believe in my own people who are rising into power on stepping stones of oppression and defeat. I believe in the structure being raised by our own courage and matured with our own blood. I believe in Black power. Now, that's this has been the way of Noah. Just because I believe in Black power, that don't mean if you're not Black, you're also not valuable. But at the same time, we need to have a reaffirmation. We do need to have a resurgence in building up our communities, our institutions, and our human capital. So you can join us. We can all work together. But that's what it is for tonight. So I appreciate you guys so much. Take care. Take care. The way. Hey.